0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information.
1: Welcome.
2: Welcome, everybody, to episode number six of Can We Talk? I'm Eric McLeod, and we have a lot of co-hosts today. So we're going to start off with Shayna. Shana. Shana Give us your name Instagram address, Twitter address. Go ahead.
3: Um, I'm Shayna, and my Instagram is rbg. That's a r e underscore b e e underscore j e e. All right,
4: this is Anthony. Um, uh, same guys before. Uh, my Instagram. Follow me at reluctant movie buff. All one word. Um, yeah.
0: Go okay. ahead. What's happening? This
1: Aaron. Uh, follow me on Instagram, T-D-D-P underscore Aaron. Um, my, my name is Kyle. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, Maverick E-T-C. It's just Maverick with the abbreviation for et cetera. All one word.
5: Um, I'm uh, Marquise. Uh, Aaron, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Mentoring Through Media.
2: All right, thank you all for joining us today. We got a, a pretty interesting discussion, and I want to talk about what happened yesterday. We had a lot of... Um, a crazy event that happened out in Virginia, um, you know, dealing with the the neo-Nazis, the alt-right, you know, starting off with their march, which led to a crazy uh, protest the second day and then ultimately led to someone getting killed. And we're just going to talk about what do y'all think about, um, you know, this what's going on in terms of this alt-right movement, um, you know, what we're facing in our society right now. It's just it's madness out here. And I just want to get y'all perspective and see what y'all think about this.
4: Unfortunately, it's come to the point where me as an African-American in the United States, I'm kind of numb to this stuff. And I shouldn't be in my own country. So um, approaching it from at face value, I'm, I'm numb to this ignorance.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's one of those things where um, we constantly, you know, growing up, we're told that you have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to know where you're going. You know, you have to be sort of... Um, Extra, extra sensitive to a lot of things as, as being uh, African-Americans in this country. And so when you're dealing with, uh, you know, blatant racism that, you know, we haven't really had to deal with, at least in our time being younger, you know, the generations before us, they had it, the Jim Crow laws in the South. You had overt racism. And we thought they were making progress, especially with, um, you know, a lot of the turn of, of, of you know, this century and the election of Barack Obama. You know, we thought that we were doing things; we were coming around the, the corner, so to speak, in terms of race. But you know, back in my mind, I knew it, never, it wasn't going anywhere. It was one of those things where you you can sort of make up for it in certain aspects politically, but socially and within our conscience, is always going to just fester, You know, underneath there. So I know, uh, Marquise, man, I know you have a lot of a lot of insight into
5: that. And so what you well, think? I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I just think it's important that. Um that we educate our our, our kids um, on racism, on race issues, on um, the way they're viewed and seen um, throughout the country and the world. Uh, I think right. it's important. Um, you know, we we have made some strides, and because you know um, uh, President Obama was was elected into office, you know people begin to think that yeah, we we've kind of turned the, the corner. Mm. But, um, you know, of course, if you live uh, in um, the black society, uh, then you see every day that that there's still a struggle for uh, inclusion and uh, diversity. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we have to continue to work towards.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, I know uh, from your perspective, you know, dealing with, um, especially in terms of business, and I know that's where your, your background is in entrepreneurship, you know, you deal with stuff all the time in terms of having to sort of prove yourself um, within our, our society. You know, give us a little bit about your experience in terms of uh, how you have been affected by, you know, the racism, blatant racism, overt racism, or just the subtle things that happen in our
0: society. Appreciate it. Man, business is already tough enough, but it's it's even more tough when you're black. You know, people mm-hmm. don't like to admit it. Um, just off of what's going on, I'm I'm looking at Instagram. I'm looking at... Facebook. I'm seeing these stories on CNN because I don't really watch TV like that. Mm. And I'm like, "Where are we? at? Is this 1906 or something? Right. Like, what's really going on? We out here marked out here marching like this. And um, I, I, what was the phrase that they were using? Was it? Um, uh, what was it? What was that they were saying at the at the at the march in Virginia? Oh, you talking All about the white guys?
2: Um, they they said a lot of stuff. So they talking about blood and soil. They're talking about um, we sort of like we want. We want the country we back. We want the country back, yeah, things of that such. When did it, they ever not have the country?
4: Yeah. I'm lost. <laughs> I thought they had the country already. When we took over basketball and sports and everything else. Okay. From their, from their point of view, I'm not saying right, that. Gotcha. but you know, The funny thing,
2: too, is that I was looking at this Twitter. Um, it was LeBron James. I think he tweeted something saying that, um, you know, like the craziness happening in Charlottesville. And, you know, we got to change. We got to do better. And then people who were commenting under it were saying, you know, stick to basketball, stick to basketball. You know, it's not your, your, your field or it's not your uh, time to get into this. And I was thinking, like, why, why, even though he's an athlete, even though his goal is to play basketball, he makes millions of dollars. Why are we still telling him that he can't have a voice? You know, what's going on? We're
4: telling a man who's a role model, don't get involved with right.
2: this. Right. And so um, even Shane coming from the perspective of the, of the black woman, and I know a lot of black women have been integral figures you know, in our our fight towards equity, equality, justice. Um, Coming from your perspective, what do you think is going on? How do you think we can come together and make sure we facilitate real change and sort of hopefully change some of the minds of those people who, you know, have those racist views?
3: Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of this, like, has been bubbling under the surface Mm. and it's finally coming to a head. So... Um, As far as solutions, I I really don't know. Mm. I really don't know. Like, Mm. we have to educate each other. We have to educate our children about, you know, the history of racism in this country.
2: Mm. That's real. That's real.
3: And also the present reality of racism in this country.
2: Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, if it was any other group of people, um, if it was a group of, you know, Muslim people who are marching with torches on on the campus of, of UVA, you know, the police would be there immediately. And so, I mean, if I understand everyone has the right to free speech. Everyone can, uh, within the, the governance of the United States, they have their right to express what they feel. Um, but how far is too far in that case? I think that, you know, when you're overly or using symbolisms like torches and you got people who are, you know, uh, sort of circling around these Confederate figures and saying that they want these figures to, to continue to be there, although they lost the Confederacy, the Confederacy lost the war. You know, hundreds of years ago, it's sort of um, it's not really doing justice to where we are in terms of what we aspire to be as a country. And my my biggest sort of sadness yesterday was the president's response. You know, I felt that it was definitely um, it was weak. It was something where he could elaborate a little bit further and just say the name, like this is white supremacy. You know, this is Nazism. You know, this is the KKK, and that was definitely disheartening. And so, um, in terms of the the president's response do you think he could have did more do you think he said what he had to say do we really expect him to do
4: more i mean, I mean what i heard from him is exactly what i expected <laughs> to hear from him i'm surprised he said anything
2: i mean i want him to do more
4: i want to be optimistic but mm. my pessimist side comes out a little bit when i talk about trump so
2: yeah
3: like yeah. the majority of the people at this rally worked out that, that was his base yeah. like these were the people at his rallies during the election
2: mm. yeah i agree And it's it's just sad, though. The majority of the people who voted for him, obviously, these are the fringe, the fringe right of our society. Um, But I feel like his election gave them a platform to be heard and sort of, you know, rip off the cloak, you know, which was those masks they used to wear, those hoods they used to wear. So that's kind of sad about that. Um, But it's going to bring us into our our main topic. And that's the the paternalistic um, environment or paternalistic responsibilities that we have in our community. Right. And so we we're talking about what do we think it means to be, you know, a man in our society? What is the responsibility of men in our society? And how can we create that change within our society?
4: So black masculinity,
2: black masculinity. Okay.
0: Yeah.
4: Well, I mean, this this topic can go a lot of ways, but I'll just I'll just introduce it this way. Um, you know, when you got a lot of vultures swimming overhead and, and you know, most of these white nationalists, they're policemen, they're, um, they're doctors, they're, you know, um, they're people that may be in positions of power who you don't see when they have the hood on. When they have it off, you're, you're shocked to see this. When you got vultures swimming everywhere near your household and you as a black man are the patriarch of your family, you know, um, it's kind of hard not to keep a steely, cold exterior about yourself. And I guess let me let me just try to break it down the way I can. You know, growing up with my mom and dad, you know, my dad he worked most of the day. And uh when he came home it was at night. So I mm-hmm. spent most of the time with my mother. So when he came home I may have been excited to say something to him and, you know, be like, Oh son, I'm tired right now. Tell me tomorrow mm-hmm. by the time com- tomorrow comes, it's like Anthony, get up, time to go to school and the cycle continues. So I mean I mean there was a point where we, we did gain a better relationship. We I don't wanna say that. But um at the point, if it kept happening, I would have grown up grown up to be a man and be like, look, the son's not supposed to know what I do, I go to work, he goes to school, and then, but how am I teaching him things directly when I'm gone mm-hmm. all the time, and it's just him with his mother, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I think there's different ways you can look at black masculinity and how it could be rectified. Right,
2: right. I remember seeing this, um, this ad through Procter & Gamble, and it was talking about talk that you have to have with your children, and of course, being a black person in America, and it was something that you um, know was really touching home because they were saying that you know, you can be as great as anyone else, but other people may not see you that way, you know, from different uh, background. And it was also, again, fathers repeating that; it was mothers repeating that. And I think that in terms of the masculinity and, and the the black or the, the patriot or the, the uh, patriarchy. Um, it's important for those fathers to be in those kids' lives because a lot of times the fathers are the ones who are instilling those guidelines, or those rules, um, instilling those values. And so, if you have someone who's saying that, you know, this is what it's like to be a black man in this in this country, or this is what it's like to um, to go through X, Y, and Z. This is what you're going to face in this country, but you're not. You don't have a father there to hear that. You know, you may be listening to your your mother who is trying to support in multiple ways, be the father, be the, the, you know, the companion for that child, but they may not hear it. And so, um, you know, that's something that we definitely deal with on a daily basis in in, in this, in this country, in this environment. Um, so what what are some of the things that you all think needs to be said in the home specifically from those fathers, if the fathers are present?
5: Well, I think the, um, I think one of the first issues is that the father isn't present. Mm-hmm. um to to have that conversation and my experience i can only draw from my experience in mentoring uh, over the last uh you know eight to ten years is the father's not present and if he is present in some cases now with this generation mm-hmm. he's just as um mm-hmm. naive or or uh, uneducated as uh his kid um you know we we have issues uh in in our society in our community mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be real, and I know it's going to offend some people with what I'm saying, but um, the old day of men in the, street, in, in the the neighborhood or in the church who grabbed up the young men in the neighborhood and talked to them and had conversations with them when their father wasn't there mm-hmm. is gone. Yeah. So now you have a society where— Uh, Rap music is educating our kids and MTV and BET and TV One and Power and Mm -hmm. Empire. And so um, our kids aren't really seeing um, real masculinity. We're taught as black men to stand up straight, stick our chest out, hold our head up, never cry, Mm -hmm. never show any emotion, um, uh, never talk about love. And so, when you grow up in, I guess the hood, as where I came from, that's what that's what you're taught. That's what you see. Mm-hmm. And so you grow up almost with an inferiority, com- inferiority complex. Right. And it's through exposure and uh, to diversity and being around other people that you learn differently. But many of our kids don't get that opportunity, and so they grow up. Um, in the back of their mind, hating the police, thinking the police are always out to get them, um, and and it's just a totally different thought process. In terms of what you said a little while ago about uh, uh, Donald Trump's base, um, and and um, you know, Aaron has said that um, you know he thought that it's not their country, yeah. and that's the misconception that many of the white supremacists feel that this is their country. They stole this country mm. from the Indian, right? So. You know why they say that this is their country? They're taking their country back, taking it back from what? Mm. I mean, wouldn't how, how would they feel if the Native Americans came back and said, "No, no, no, you want to take it from them? No, we're gonna take it from you because it was yeah. originally ours to begin with." Yeah. But we have to do a better job um, of educating. And 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 the sad reality, um, Eric, is that many of our kids, and, and I know you've seen this. We work together. Uh, you've coached with me, so you, we've had several conversations with. Uh, young people, uh, young uh, African-American uh, teens and and uh, young adults that they they just don't they don't even know the knowledge. They don't even know their history. Yeah. So, you know, they see something like this uh, and, and it comes up on their Twitter or their Snapchat or their, their Instagram and they're like, oh, that's messed up. I like that new song that's coming out. Right. They just move on. They're totally disconnected from
2: it. I mean, that's society in general. I feel like we get news so quickly. You know, there's always going to be another hot story that comes up the next hour. We are desensitized, yeah, desensitized. Yeah, we desensitized. And it kind of touched on what you talking about with, um, you know, knowing the history. Man, I read this crazy. I read this thing that really blew my mind. I didn't really even understand, um, you know, how vital this was. But it was a period after um, the world Civil War, where it was the Reconstruction period where. This was a time where the black people in America who were freely uh, free, free, free people in the country, um, newly freed. They had the opportunity to not only gain a political foothold within our society, but also really move themselves up socially. And so it was a 30 year stretch after the Civil War where the black people were actually, you know, they were lawyers. They were they were they were doctors. And these were, again, newly freed slaves. Um, they were politicians. And there was places in North Carolina where majority of the legislature, state legislature, were free slaves. Um, but, again, it was that concept of the white population felt that they were losing their sense of of power control. within it, control within it. Mm-hmm. And so they started putting in the laws, the Jim, Jim Crow laws, the Plessy v. Ferguson case, which said the separate and equal is, mm-hmm. is the land of the law. You know, those things were really um, pivotal in changing the way that the black people at that point had elite, at least a little bit of sunlight. You know, there was a time where they actually had a little bit of a room to grow and mature and, and become you know, established within the United States, but that was taken away due to the, 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 the white people's sense of being or losing control and being second-class citizens in their own states. And so that really goes on to touch on the, the, the greater narrative of, you know, do, they really, do you really have control? What, what is control? What is power? And again, this country was taken away from Native Americans. You know, that's, that's the sad thing. And so we're, you're seeing people who are who are fighting and killing people over this sense of I'm losing something. Mm-hmm. And it's ridiculous. It's sad. Yeah. It's definitely sad. And so in terms of um, looking at how, again, it's shaped by or how we can use uh, masculinity, how we can use this paternal structure to shape our society, what do you think the role of, um, you know, those community organizers, what do you think of the role of, the church members, the, the educators, mm-hmm. how does that fit into that structure as well? If you if you have a society where, you know, fathers aren't present, how how can we fit in? How can we move in and to do what we have to do on our end?
5: Okay. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Okay. I think that this goes back to to the whole group of black communities coming together. Mm-hmm. Because individually, you know, black masculinity can exist. Maybe in a small pocket, in a small group it can exist. But as a whole, I think black masculinity probably went away in '67. Mm-hmm. You know It probably went away when, when King died, right. when, when Malcolm X died. Right. So now every time you get a strong black man that stands, stands up, somehow some scandal comes out, or they weakens them. You know, mm-hmm. look at um, Tulsa. Mm-hmm. You had black masculinity, masculinity that existed because mm-hmm. you had business owners, you had people standing up, and then once that happens, you get shut back down. You know, how can you be a black masculine man and then I can sit there and we could get pulled over by a cop and I can watch you get beat and mm. I can't do nothing. Uh, uh, I can't do nothing because I mean, if I do something, I'll be getting beat
4: too, right? How you feel? I'll be in jail too. How you feel about that, Anthony? I don't know, man. I'm kind of – I agree with you, but on the other hand, I disagree. I don't think black masculinity died in the 60s. I mean, in some way – and, you know, I hate – I don't. I don't mean to bring everything back to hip hop, but there is black masculinity in hip hop. I feel like, and it is, and it does translate to the youth, and it does translate to adults as well. And um, you know, whether that masculinity is you know sensible masculinity or ignorant masculinity, there is still black masculinity in the pop culture
5: thing. So I don't.
4: That was the only thing I had um, qualms with, but I understand everything else you said.
5: Can you give us some examples of you said it? It is in, in hip hop.
4: Well, I mean, there's two different spectrums of it. There's one spectrum of, you know, there's the common, there's the Talib Kwali, you know, the sensible black masculinity that um, you know, they, they 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 are they are tough, but at the same time they're inclusive. You know, they're um they, they believe in unity and peace, which is what we should promote. Then there's the negative side of black masculinity, like, you know, the fifty cent G unit game era. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Tough guys, F the police, you know, even going back to NWA and all of them. But at the same time, there is a bit of pride in that. You know what I mean? It may not be the best measures to say after police, but there's a pride in that.
3: I mean, I, but that doesn't apply to the mass of black men. That's right, like right. that's pop culture.
4: Of course it doesn't. But I'm just I, I don't know. I just didn't I just disagreed a little with the black masculinity died statement. So I just thought I,
5: of the pop culture is as one aspect, not the whole thing. I, I agree with him with what he's saying. But here's the, the flip side of that. We are not in any prominent positions to really push our own agenda. Yeah, uh, he talked about Talib Kweli and Nas and Comet, mm-hmm. and he's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But do you ever hear them on FM ninety eight? Oh, no, no, didn't or no one hundred five point nine. You yeah. don't ever hear them on on, on on commercial radio. Why? Because they promote a message that the major people who are in these top positions at record companies they don't want that message out there. You know what they mm-hmm. want our kids to hear. Molly Percocet <laughs> You know, that's what they want our kids to yeah. They that's they yeah, push the agenda. The rule. I mean, that's kind of an interesting
2: concept too, because I hear a lot of people saying that current hip hop is demasculizing demasculi- masculinizing um black people. They saying look at it look at the people wearing dresses. That you know, you got world. um what's what's so dude uh, wearing the dresses all the time. Um Young Thug. Young thug, young thug wearing dresses. You know, they're they're being very even you see um that? Was the the one guy who's doing a little dance on the on the stage? We've got not not a little yachty, uh, little Uzi Vert, little Uzi Vert doing his little dance on the stage, and people are saying that hey, this is sort of like um, you know feminizing a lot of these these black men. I mean, what do y'all think about that? I think I think it's a little bit of um, truth to that. It
4: is. I think I think absolutely, it's and I I got something to add to that, but um, does anyone want to? Yeah, definitely.
0: I feel like when you look at who these artists are being paid by, mm-hmm. then again an agenda agenda is pushed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's all an agenda by, of course, elite. Right. Yeah. So that goes back to black masculinity again. How do you have it if you don't own anything? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Resources we that's, don't have
2: any. That's true.
4: Oil. That's true. Yeah, and I was gonna say, like, um, you know, at least at least staying, at least staying on the pop culture things. You know, there's even a criticism when you see, um. For the black community, when you see black men in dresses on film, mm. you know, like when you look at Eddie Murphy as you know Mama Clump, or you know, um, who else? We got Flip Wilson, you know, right? Uh, Martin Lawrence, you know, and all that. You know, there's a, there's a criticism with that, like, oh, why are you wearing a dress? You know, like, come on, be a man. You know, yeah. this.
2: And, of- and that was a big reason why I believe Dave Chappelle sort of wrapped it up and and, and quit his career early because I think he felt as if he wasn't he didn't have control over his his product or his narrative.
4: I, don't, I, I think that's I think that's partly a myth because like if you studied it, like the the dress thing that happened on the set of Blue Streak, I don't know if mm-hmm. that happened on the set of Chappelle's Show. Yeah,
2: you're right. Yeah,
4: yeah. But I think overall though, that's I that's kind of.
2: No, think that's a good question to have because I feel like there's two narratives being sort of pushed on our young people, especially our young guys, that either you really hyper masculine, but there's also you either sort of feminized a little bit, and so uh, it's it's like all right, what do you want to be? Do you want to go out here and say call women? you know, B's, H's, you know, sort of disrespect your your, your moms, your sisters, your girlfriends, or do you want to wear dresses? Do you want to, you know, things like that. So you're just hearing these two narratives, I think they're just confused. And but a lot of, it, but it, I
5: think, uh, Eric, there's always been multiple narratives out there. It's yeah. always been that way. The 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 problem is, is that I think we've lost a sense of values and morals. Yeah. And, you know, it used to be that, you know, back in the day, you know, Two live crew and Mm. and NWA were doing their thing and saying what they needed to say, but you still came home and knew that you know the 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 values and morals in your home. You knew that your mother and your father were teaching you certain things. Like you don't conduct yourself like that. When I was growing up, we didn't openly call women uh, the B word. Mm. And if you slipped and called a girl the B word, you was gonna get your butt kicked. You knew like you knew certain things. You didn't curse in front of old older people. Mm -hmm. You know you now. You might have got with your friends and cursed, but yeah. when adults were standing around, or when somebody came around you, uh, um, that was an adult or an older person. You stepped to the side. There are certain norms as a culture of that we have always exercised that we don't anymore. It's also. will go ahead. So you know, again, and 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 I, you know, I can touch on this a little bit uh, um, in a second, but. It almost makes me think back to the Willie Lynch theory. Mm. You know, when 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 the man has been taken out the home and he's nonexistent in the home, that kid is left to have to be reared and educated by just the mom or people in the neighborhood. And the man is not really there to show. Discipline comes from the man. He mm-hmm. sets the tone in that home as to what is acceptable and what is not, accept, not acceptable. And he, if he's not present because he's working or abandoning child or out on drugs or whatever the case may be, that child is left to, where does my identity come from? Mm-hmm. So my identity is coming from the music I listen to. It's coming. They're like water. They just yeah. take the shape of whatever environment they're placed in because I don't have any identity. Mm-hmm. So the father has to get back in the home, and the father has to be the one that sits that kid down and say, hey, you might like. Um, Lil Uzi or, or uh, AK or whoever you just said a little while ago, right. but this is the way we as herrings conduct ourselves, mm-hmm. and this is the value set that we have. Man. That's not present.
2: I mean, both it does come down to parenting. Yeah, yeah, parenting is, is parenting is the most critical part of a, of a child's life. I mean, it, it sets them up for failure or success in most parts. I mean, but you do have you do have those outliers where parents are in the, the house and they're teaching those kids those lessons, but the the, the kids just sort of, you know, falls through. Um, but what would you, what would you say to those nature versus nurture? Right. Nature versus nurses. What'd you say to those mothers though? Those mothers who say, you know, I can do it myself. You know, I don't need, I don't need that guy out here to uh, tell my kid what to do. I can, I can raise that child to be a, a good human being to be successful, you know, without having that father. And this, it means it's, 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 examples of that, that as well. Exists. Yeah.
4: Uh, that does I mean, exist. I
5: maybe look that funny when I say that, but I would tell her she's wrong. Mm. Um, you know, it was designed in a certain way, that's the way it should go. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, don't get me wrong. Let me, let me make this very clear. My mother was one of them who was a yes. single-parent mother. Um, there are some very, very strong mothers out here mm-hmm. who give their all for their kids, mm-hmm. give their all for their kids. But God would have never created a man if if he wasn't needed to be in that situation. All ah, right, here we go. And, and <laughs> I mean, so he, you know, a father needs to be present. There are certain things as a young man that you look, conversations and dialogue that you look to have with your father mm. that you don't look to have with your mother. You go to your mother, you know, nurturing. Mom, oh, right. my, my arm hurt. My, you know, and mom might get up and say, get back out there. You know, she might be hard on you. Mm. But you look for, I coach basketball. Can you imagine how many young men, uh, Eric, we would be on the sideline, would be sitting on, on that bench and be a part of our team. Mm-hmm. All they wanted was their father to come and watch them play basketball. That's real. That's, yeah. that's all they wanted. They were out there running track. You know when your parent is there, when your parent is there setting the tone, when your parent has a prominent role in your life, mm-hmm. you do better. Right. You do better. So – the fact of the matter is a lot of this comes back to parenting and a lot of this comes down to the dysfunction and breakdown of the family mm. and the father not being present.
0: Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. Interesting viewpoint.
2: Yeah, no, mm. Anthony, you said you had a little bit of a, a, <laughs> a mumble over there. <laughs>
4: I mean, that's that's not a big thing to bring into this, but it's always – it, and, you know, I, I can't knock that. You know, there there is always kind of like the Christian – Values of masculinity too That kind of like says Well you know God wouldn't have created God created Adam and Eve Not Adam and Steve Right You know the whole thing With you know The stigma within the black community As a whole That if you're a black man and You're homosexual You're no longer a man Right You know there's that too That ties into the Christian values And you know I don't want to stray too far Into that Because I don't want to Take away from other Potential points But yeah you know It's a little criticism With that on my point On yeah. my part
2: I mean that's a valid point Within itself When I mean, you're looking at, at Religion and um you know, how that affects the, the view that you have of family, that you have of society as well. I kind of want to touch, I know Dar- Darius, yes. you in, uh, what are you, high school right now? Yeah. All right, so in your perspective, and everybody, this is Darius. Uh, this is our uh, Hello. nephew. <laughs> Hello. Hello. So, Hello. so, so, so Darius, um, in your opinion, like what is, what is high school like for you being a high, high school age kid? Were you 15? Yes. 15 years old. What are some of the things that you see going on? Well, I am an
6: online student, mm-hmm. but hearing from my friends, um, every time they go to school, it's always like um, everybody's always judging them. Mm-hmm. Like it's always you have to follow these type type of student rules, like mm-hmm. have um, a certain type of name brand clothes. It's always something something like that. Every mm-hmm. time I talk to them, they come back and tell me,
4: mm-hmm.
6: "Yep." And then even on social media, like. People are always arguing um about what people wear and if they wore it twice and
2: stuff is crazy.
6: Yeah.
2: And that's that I'm telling you that social media piece is that that kills me all the time. That just bugs me. You know, I just feel like there's just too many platforms out here for people to just say whatever they want to say, you know, with no regard for anything.
3: You used to have and, to work for a platform. Yeah. Now all you have to do is have a phone.
4: Mm. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because, you know, whether we want to admit it or not. There are mean teenagers in high school. Yeah. You're gonna run across them, and being that they got like an easy platform to bully, cyberbullying, mm-hmm. You know, that's I think that's probably like the the most um, that's one of the most uh toughest uh forms of bullying to face. Yeah, and that could, that sort of shapes what parents have to do now. Because
2: I mean, you know, parents right now they're not used to having you know Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and now you have to tell your child like, hey, make sure you you doing what you got to do. Make sure you're not on Snapchat saying stuff that you ain't supposed to say. So how does that throw another wrinkle into what, you know, the goal of parents, what they have to do in terms of just some of the other stuff they have to be aware of?
4: Are we still talking about, okay. No, are we still talking about like, like, like what what what's the question?
2: So in terms of like, even the social media aspect, and we're looking at parenting, um, you know, that's going to be throwing another wrinkle at it. And we're looking at how, we, how are we supposed to ensure that our children are on the correct path, being fathers or being um, the head of the household. Knowing that it's a whole system out here that they don't know about, you know, this is social media is sort of like a hidden world where the kids are just in their own little circle, their own society, and they having to deal with the challenges of raising a child, knowing that you have another whole hidden society that they're in and have to navigate.
4: I mean, I I, I didn't mean to interrupt him, but I mean that's just the, for my take, that's just the Joseph Campbell hero journey of life, you know mm. you. You go out there and you experience these things on your own, you can only take so much from your parents or your mama or your dad mm-hmm. and you know, you just Yeah. Make it move.
2: Yeah. And I think um because I was seeing I see it often. Um, you know, they say that especially working in schools, and as Darius was saying, that people are um, the kids are criticizing each other, you know, via you know, not just text messaging now, you know, they got Snapchat, and Instagram, all these other platforms, and being able to you know, and I'm not a parent, but if I was a parent and, you know, being growing up and have my parent in a different era where we didn't have the, that stuff and we have to worry about that, that just makes it a little bit harder to, you know, ensure that we are leaving our kids the right message. Um, but I guess going back to, you know, being fathers and fatherhood, uh, what do you think is the most important thing for fathers to, uh, especially raising, raising young people in today's society, what is that message we need to instill in them? To ensure that if we look back at the racism they were, they were facing, um, especially with uh, what happened in, in Virginia. Ensuring that they understand what racism is and not being um, blindsided by it. Because I can tell you, in the, when, I was, when I was younger, we took a trip to Tennessee. And we were at this restaurant called Shoney's. And we were, at, uh, we were in the booth. And across from the booth, there was this, uh, this white family. And I remember one of the white kids put his middle finger up at us. You know, He said, it didn't work. They you know, called us a, a, a nigger, and so that sort of was ingrained in my mind. Now, even ever, even now, like, I still think about that today, and I'm trying to think of, like, what would, what can you say as a parent? Like, what, how do you even address that?
4: You know what? Um, there's a great line in Dear White People, the series, where they say, "Sometimes being carefree and black is a revolution." I say before you. You apply your mind to any of that hate of, you know, just the, the bad history of this country with white and blacks, you know, be true to yourself. Remember to be carefree and black. You know, you don't always have to be black and angry or black and sad. Remember to be carefree and black.
3: Do we have that option, though, to be careful in this country? I mean, mm.
4: you got not I don't, always. I don't but think so. When you do, I say seize the moment.
3: Especially being a black man, you have to always be careful. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I
4: do. But I think when you have the moment to be you know you know damn what anyone else thinks do it you know i understand because of course you can't live on pins and
2: needles every day you know that's just exactly. that's gonna create anxiety you're gonna be just thinking that someone's getting out coming out coming to get you you know every everywhere you look and every turn. but i think that you also have to maintain some semblance of just just live your life you know you just you sort of have to just enjoy life um so that's a that's a good discussion. What do you think being carefree? Can you be carefree in black in America?
5: I agree with her, no. Mm-hmm. Um I think you can have some moments. Uh but for the most part, I mean, let's let's just take the previous president, uh, President Obama. Uh he identified himself <laughs> as as a black man. Uh he had to uh, denounce his pastor mm-hmm. who his pastor preached a message uh um saying about America, not President Obama. So he was already uh, made to or put out there to believe that he felt the same way as his pastor mm-hmm. because he attended that church. Here you have Donald Trump, who is backed by David Duke, who was a head Klansman, yeah. and he never denounced him. There's a certain thing, as, and I'm pretty sure we all know it in this room, as white privilege. Mm-hmm. And that is the one thing that I think we have to teach our our kids, that I want you to grow up. I want you to be strong, and like um, my man just said, enjoy life, but always be precautious. Mm-hmm. Because when they pull you over in East Point, uh, and you trying to be carefree in Birmingham, and carefree in Bloomfield Hills, mm-hmm. you won't be treated the same way. If me, as a black man, I'm doing 60 miles per hour up Metro Parkway and I get pulled over by the police. Right. If the white guy get, gets pulled over, and he's doing 60 miles per hour. It's just not looked at the same. It's not. If I'm pulled over and I'm young and I'm speeding, I'm a thug. Right. Uh, I'm up to no good. I'm out here trying to get some drugs. Am I smoking? Let me check your car. Okay. The white guy, he's just young and being carefree. Y'all know what I mean, by carefree now. don't, yeah, don't do yeah. that. Y'all know what I mean. Yeah. So, so, but you know, what I'm, what I'm, what I, what we need to understand, and what what I try to teach uh, young men through my mentoring organization, especially because they I get them when they're getting ready to graduate high school and go into the world. That he's right. You should go and live your life. Mm-hmm. You should go and live your life. You should go and have fun, but always be vigilant. Always be ready because. You cannot ever take off that black skin. <laughs> you're gonna be black every day for the rest of your life. Yeah. And so you'll always be judged and looked at differently.
0: Okay. I think that um carefree can definitely be, you know, can be done. You know, um it's like when you were like we're in business, right? Um uh, we don't we don't move in a way that okay, we're afraid of everything. You live your life, you create, you mm-hmm. do you, and um just do the best that you can do in everything you do, and enjoy life. Um, mm-hmm. But just, I mean, it is that caution that you do have to have. Yeah, and I understand yeah. what everybody's talking about is that you can't always be carefree. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the young man that got killed by an officer who was he was out in the park in, in the park playing with the gun. Yes. Yeah. Samir Rice, Samir Rice, absolutely. So he was being a little bit, you know, enjoying himself, and mm-hmm. and something bad happened to him just because of the colors of his skin. Of his skin. And I feel like that's because. A lot of times, you know, white people can't understand the black man. Mm-hmm. So it's an automatic fear there. And it's like, I'm afraid of you right? for some reason.
2: Yeah. It it kind of reminds me of that uh, Childish Gambino song, uh, Red Bone. Just stay woke. They creeping. <laughs> they going to find you, catch you sleeping. But, um, yeah, I think it's important, though. You know, I think you have to... Realize that we all live in this life. This is our one life to live. We need to just enjoy it. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people are constantly stressed out about the fact they got to be, you know, on every day in terms of just, you know, on guard. Of course you have to be. That's just society. Yeah, but I think that been... that that does just weigh you down. That, that leaves you um, resenting everything.
4: Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's been times where I've been very scared as a black man, you know, in America in general. But. I got to remind myself that, you know, I have a life to live. Mm. I, I mean, stay woke, stay aware, but at the same time, yeah, that's all I'm saying, live your life. Maybe carefree was the wrong word, mm. but you know what I'm saying. Well, this is kind of how I took it when he said carefree. Like, going
1: back to the, uh, the instance where the uh, the little white kid uh, held the middle finger up to you and called yeah. you the end, where I, There's There's so many things you can do in response to that. Mm. Like, you could... You could shrug it off and walk away. Like there's it on a national scale. It doesn't really do anything. The worst right. that could happen in that instance is that he could think it's okay and he'll just do it to everybody. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you could also on, on the other side of the spectrum, you could you could stop whatever you're doing. You could walk up to him and you could you could beat him up. Right. <laughs> I mean, you could do a lot of things <laughs> to this kid. Was like, and, what good does that do, though? Right. What what good does that do? Like, there's there's so many things you have to take into consideration when you make these choices. And, I mean, when you could have did nothing, and he could have thought it was okay. You could have did nothing, and maybe he would have thought that that doesn't work anymore. Because he probably just tried to get a rise out of you. Mm. And if you if you don't do anything, then it's just like, you know, that doesn't have any power anymore. But it's, but, a,
2: it's such a double-edged sword, though. Because right. when you say don't do anything, again, it's going to look at as
1: being acceptable. But if you do something, you're going to be looked at as being just that angry person. Right? Exactly. But if you beat him up, then it's just like, that's... That might be what he wanted. That yeah. that could just be proving what he what he said to you. But it's just it's just so it's it's so much you have to take into account. Take into mm-hmm. yeah, take into account when you um when things like that happen. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I took when he said uh, we have to be carefree and black is that we have to pick and choose our battles. Mm-hmm. Like we can't let every time somebody calls us, you know, that mm-hmm. that we can't give that power. But at the same time, we got to let them know, it, 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 I guess in, diff, in, it, in various instances, we have to let them know that that's not right. It reminds me of that argument, you,
2: and, and, and is completely valid. It reminds me of the argument between you know, the Malcolm X theory of, of how you should treat you know, race and, and, and more so from a, not a violent standpoint, but just just stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Or from the, the Martin Luther King, where you just take the high road. It's like you can see that even today. It's just like the small interactions you may have on a daily basis. Like, all right, what should I do? Should I take the high road? Should I just, you know, just give them what they want to see? Mm-hmm. And I think where do you draw that line? Like what, at what point do you say, all right, you know, this, this is going too far? <laughs>
4: um, I mean, yeah, that's kind of a general question. There's a lot of yeah. ways we could go too far. I think I mean, it goes too far when it affects my rights. Yeah. like. Calling
1: me an N word doesn't affect my rights. Like I I mean, it doesn't affect language. How I right? It Mm -hmm. doesn't affect how I live my day to day. It's it's just a word. I can I have stuff to do. I got somewhere to be. Right. But you know, if I can't if I can't even walk out of the house and you know without being pulled over for something, then that's when I have to say no. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and that's 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 a um, you know that's a tough thing we got to deal with. And even looking at you know the transgressions that happened this past weekend is you have these, um, again, you have this, this,
6: oh, God. um, it's just like really sad what people go through. Like mm-hmm. I can remember, um, a few months ago I was walking in the mall with my cousin mm-hmm. and it was, a um, a white security guard and he stopped us over and it was like early in the day mm-hmm. and he was like, um, where are you guys going? And I'm like, we were just passing through to go to the movie theater because it was a movie theater inside of the mall. And he was like, it's past curfew. And it was like some sometime around the morning and we we're like, it's the morning time. And he's like, you need to leave out if you don't have a parent. And we're like, why? And there there was other kids walking around. They were white and they were with their friends and like laughing and stuff and we were just wondering why do we have to leave? And he was just saying, you have to leave. It's the rules. And my cousin, she instantly went to, like, defense mode. And I'm just like, it's not even worth it. Like, we'll just mm-hmm. leave. We were just going through it anyways. Because when she started getting loud, it just made me think about what's going on with um, the white police and black people. And I was just like, it's not even worth it. Because he then began to put his hand on his hip, and we just... Walked away and had to leave.
2: Wow! Wow. Yeah, that's that's deep. Yeah, and and it's common occurrence. It's again, like Marquis said, you could be doing the same exact thing in the same exact location, same exact situation, but due to the color of your skin, you know, you're you're viewed in a different light. That's unfortunate.
5: Our our kids have to know that. No, I mean, especially our young men. Um, You know, they just have to know that. You know, um, as they travel and whatever it is that they're doing and, you know especially so many of my uh college students you know who are away in school um one you know one in particular who's up at Northern Michigan University you mm-hmm. know who who uh you know was telling me about an instance up there where you know when in my mom's generation racism you knew it because they looked you in your face and called you the n word mm-hmm. and it told you they hated you to your face so we saw a resemblance of that yesterday mm-hmm this generation just saw that probably for the first time yesterday. Mm-hmm. They're not used to that type of racism. Right. They're used to, you know, what I don't, I don't even know what they're used to, but microaggressions. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, now institutional racism is there, you know, now you have uh, rules and, and, and laws that are set up to make sure that you uh, abide by a certain rule, you know, and, and so, Um, they don't see it and they don't understand it. And so that's why, again, I go back to what I said a little while ago. It's important for parents to sit down with their kids and talk to them about the difference. Mm. Uh, Because it's, it's, it's not so blatant as it used to be. You know, back in the day, it was very racism. was very blatant. A white person looked you in the face and said that, Mm. you know, he's, he's a very intelligent young man. You can pick that up from his conversation, but how many other young, you know, black kids would have went through that same experience and just would have been like, oh, he's just tripping and walked away. <laughs> they wouldn't even put it in the, the boat of, yep. you know, like, this is some racist junkie doing, yeah, you know. Yeah. True. So we, that's why I said we have to just continue to educate. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's even interesting you know, on college campuses where we think you're like these liberal bastions. Um, there's still it's a lot of racism in those, those campuses, which is sad. Oh, yeah. And I remember instances instance where, um, you know, I was walking on. So in Michigan State, you have West Circle. West Circle is where it's majority white. Um, it's where the music campus is. And I was walking there, visiting a friend at night. And this group of white kids were like, what are you doing on this side of campus? Like, black people don't live here. You know, my mind, I'm like, what? Like, you <laughs> do run into that. Like, yeah. black, black people don't live? You're like, this is, you know, Michigan State University. This is a campus where, you know, all people are supposed to be inclusive. Right. You know, to hear that type of statement. And this was like 20, 20, 2009, 2010. I want to happen. So it just shows you, like, you know, it was getting worse. You know, that's just that was just the tip, you know, what we were experiencing. A lot of it was due to politics. When I was when, around the time Barack Obama was, was uh, elected, and, you know, people were definitely upset about that. And they felt that they're ready to call out, you know, or sort of be a little bit more overt with their racism in some cases. Um, and then we're just seeing, like, that, that tip of the iceberg. It was just, right now, it's just, it's, it's, culminating right now and it's um it's scary yeah it seems that you know with the the
0: election and then with president trump Mm -hmm. like it just gave all of the the rednecks and races to be like okay this is fine we can do it now Mm -hmm. you know our leader's here so let's come out you know that's what it feels
2: like that was their leader
4: (laughs) it just it, it baffles me that you know Black masculinity isn't called into question as much as it is in here in America. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I'm I'm not speaking for much expertise, but I imagine outside of America, black masculinity isn't called it as much as it is here. Yeah. You know, this is a tortured, complex land we're from. And, you know, whether we admit it or not, we were born here and, you know, we choose to stay here within our own Mm -hmm. rights. But it's like, you know, it, it does become psychologically damaging to a point.
2: Yeah. And just the fear, like even when um, you hear like the police officer say, like, I fear for my life, you know, that fear was just driven by the fact that he was a black male. And then a lot of times in in our mind, we're just sort of we're we're taught to think that a black male means, you know, dangerous. You know, it means that there, you know, something's going to be something's going to happen to you if you give him that chance. And that's that's definitely a uh, reflection of our society a reflection of what's in our media you know, reflection of that narrative that's driven through um, just just our country. Um, and it's, it's sad and it's scary because people I interact with, you know, black men on a daily basis, we are great people who all have the same aspirations as anyone else. You want to be successful. You want to support our families. And we just want to have – we just want to live our lives freely. And to um, sort of associate black men in general with one small segment – of those who may do get in trouble, those who may commit crime is, is definitely, you know, injustice that we're facing. And so, uh, moving forward, I guess, um, what do you all think is going to be those next steps in, tor- in order for us to heal as a nation? Because I feel like this is, everyone's starting to see it now. They see that this is real, you know, white Americans starting to see that this is real. You can't hide behind, um, saying that you, ha- you, you, you elected a black president anymore. So racism is real. How can we, how can you move forward and heal? Our country.
5: I I think uh, we as uh, a people, and I'm talking about African Americans. I think we have to first within our own uh, culture and race come together. Um. The the black man that grow that that makes it out the hood and grows up and gets a little money and moves out doesn't come back mm. to educate those that he left, mm. and so you know you have problems there. Uh, also, I mean, let's just take—we uh, can only base it off of where we come from. We from the city of Detroit. Uh, our educational system, we don't own it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, <laughs> the liquor stores in our communities, we don't own them. The grocery stores in our community, we don't own them. The gas stations in our community, we don't own them. We don't own the educational system, mm-hmm. which is the the first resource that mm-hmm. we need uh, in terms of education. We don't own any prominent. Uh, jobs or any businesses you know that that uh really would would help to educate our kids and to teach them about um being inclusive and 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 we have to put ourselves in a spot where we're in some of these top positions making you know making decisions mm-hmm. and until we we get there i mean of course we know that that's through education and 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 and, and not always going to college but just education i mean it's no different from the guy who graduates from high school and goes to Henry Ford and gets an automotive um, certification and it starts his own business working on cars. We need African-Americans to come together, and we have to stop being – first off, a lot of the ways, we scared of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so we talk about a white cop being scared of us. Some of us are scared of each other. It's right. certain areas in the hood I don't go in after dark. Hey. So I'm saying that, but you know, at the same time, we kind of fearful too. You know, hey. we you know, Pookie and Earl and Ray Ray and all of them, you know, that sitting on the on the front porch right now, chilling with some forties and smoking that crud right now. We we not always is open to go and have conversations with them, but we have to start. Yeah, we got to start reaching back and we got to come together and form businesses within our own community that educate our youth. Uh, on on how to lead and, and be owners mm. and uh, look out for each other.
4: Mm.
0: I think that it's going to start with how you heal a nation that really wasn't all the way integrated. Right. You kind of got to see where segregation and integration is supposed to meet somewhere in the middle. I don't know. Um, just looking at it, I mean, you got centuries and centuries of, mm. uh, of nations and people. I think we're going to have to figure out where are we going Mm -hmm. in terms of we know that in a way we probably will never be accepted a hundred percent. I don't, I don't, I don't think personally, I don't feel or think that we'll ever be accepted Mm -hmm. Um, in a nation that's built on a system of, of segregation. Mm -hmm. The whole founding, everything was built on segregation, was built on us being a commodity, not a person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do you change that when we're still a commodity? Because you can look at the the, um, prison industrial system and see that we are still a commodity. Mm -hmm. Because they're in prison working for Victoria's Secret and Microsoft and all these other companies. So you have to figure out where are we going? Mm -hmm. And then we have to bring the structure, the family back together before we can even even consider a move in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to need to control our own resources. Cause if mm-hmm. we don't control our own resources, you'll
2: never have your own community mm-hmm. fully. Yeah. Um, and just a lot of prayer. Yeah. And I think a whole lot of it with that, any successful civil rights movement took those in the majority. They had to empathize with those who were, um, in that minority. Those who, who were, were, uh, had the ill wills transpired against them. Um, if you look at, again, the civil rights movement, it took those, those young white people to also step up. They had to realize that something was wrong. You know, if we, if we, can t- if we constantly say, it like, all right, this isn't right, this isn't right, they're not going to see it. But it takes them as well to say, all right, you guys, they, they have a point. This isn't right. For, for them to, to hopefully open the eyes of other people along that process. Um, so we definitely have a long way to go. Uh, thank you all for another. It was a great episode, great conversation. Um, You know, we're going to continue this moving forward. We can continue our discussion online through Facebook and Twitter. Um, So feel free to reach out to us, and we can talk about topics for for the future. But thank you all again. Thank you, panel. Thank you, group. Thank you, co-hosts. It was definitely a great experience, Um, and we will see you all again next week. Thank you.